1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35. In chapter 15, we see Paul continue here where we left off addressing a key doctrinal foundational truth regarding the resurrection. Many people at this point in time in Corinth started off well, was taught well, had a solid foundation in the faith. Paul himself personally told them, talked to them, told them over and over, instructed, encouraged, corrected, rebuked, exhorted. All the things that a pastor does to, or like a shepherd to a sheep, correcting them because they're not, maybe not going in the right direction, going to the place where it's green fields to pastors to eat and to take in and to be nourished and healthy. And like we see in the early church and we see today, many people are walking away from the foundational truths that God has set. Even though it's in black and white, it's right in the scriptures, it's right in front of our eyes, we can read it for ourselves. It's not in Latin, it's not in Hebrew, it's not in Aramaic, it's not in any other language. We can read this language. But people choose to go against the foundational truths of Christ. And that foundational truth that started eroding back then, and Paul needed to address it, and that is they stopped believing that the resurrection of, the, not only in some cases, that Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead after three days of being buried, but the fact that, okay, I believe that, but I don't believe our bodies will be resurrected into some new bodies into heaven. That's what we don't believe. Because they allowed the Greek culture, they allowed these legalistic of the Jewish faith to come to them and to change their minds or to sway them away from the truths of God. Yes, religious leaders tried to change their minds about the truths of God. Yes, the culture came in and tried to change your mind of how you should think about things, even if it comes and goes against directly the word of God. And I am here encouraging my brothers that regardless of what you hear in some pastor on some YouTube telling you something, if it contradicts the word of God, that is false teaching and you should touch it off and never look at it again. If you read a book that goes against the word of God, never listen to and read that book again and never encourage anyone else to read that book. Because you held responsible for those decisions. Do you realize that? And so I want to encourage you. I'm seeing it more and more and more and more. And people, I think, are solidly, foundationally sound in the Word of God. Something's coming out of their mouths or some things that their books they're reading or the people, certain teachers are listening to, and they're promoting it. It's just, it grieves me as a pastor to hear these things. It's not happening in here in this church. Of course not. But I'm hearing it happening in other churches, and it grieves me completely. So I encourage you, as Paul is addressing, and he doesn't mince any words. I mean, he's not sugarcoating. This is not a seeker-sensitive little letter he's sending back to the Corinthian believers here. This is not a seeker-sensitive type guy. He started, remember, in chapter 15, verse 33, he says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. <laughs> Evil company corrupts good habits. Evil company corrupts good habits. You must watch out for who you keep company with. Because it will affect your life, as Paul says here. And it was affecting these Corinthian Christians because it was causing this evil company, these people who are going against the word of God, was, is, was being, these Christians were being conformed to this world. And we're warned by that, even Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. What they didn't need to be is conformed to the world, to society. What they needed to have happen is be transformed by the renewing of their mind. And Christians must let the word of God shape their thinking not the evil company of this world. You must understand that and you must guard those things for, for your children who may not fully understand. You must take every effort to encourage them to be careful what they're taking into their minds. 
And as today we continue in verse 35, you will see Paul is now going to talk about the the nature of the resurrected body and the nature of the resurrected body. So our title today is Our New Resurrected Body. And you're going to see that very clearly as Paul clearly communicates to them that they need to go back to the basics they once believed in and, and stay fast in that, the fact that our bodies will be resurrected and will be in the presence of God in due time. Verse 35, but someone will say, so Paul transitions here by anticipating what someone's going to say when he, they read this letter. They've read their letter all about this, re- this section here about in chapter 50 about the resurrected body. And he knows that someone's going to bring up a couple of questions. It may be the fact that he's anticipating it or more than likely he has been asked these questions as a rebuttal to what he's already wrote. And he's going to address the two questions that are kind of like that rebuttal, that, that, that debate kind of methodology. You have a debate going on. One person says, blah, 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 blah. And then these two people come out, well, what about this and what about this? And then, and then they answer that part and they ask questions. It's a debate kind of a format. And here is a very, uh, very seasoned uh, lawyer kind of approach that Paul is, and he ans- asks the two questions right up front. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up then, right? How are they raised up? Okay, can prove that. And with what body do they come? Okay, so to prove and tell me, how is this body going to be raised up, and what is that body going to look like? See, because they're trying to get Paul to, to, to somehow be backed down from his solid stance of the truth and to try to get him to, un, you know, to, to communicate and to, okay, show me. Well, he does in his Paul roundabout way. But watch this. He says, because what happened is this, this culture, this Greek culture had this thing called Greek dualism, which taught that the soul is good, but the body is corrupt. And in this view, this death, you know, death was a good thing because death allowed the soul to be liberated from this wicked body that we live in. So some suggest that the Corinthians understood that the Christians would be resurrected in the same body as they possessed before death. But they thought God would not perfect these bodies. So if they said, okay, if you think that you're going to have bodies, what kind of bodies are going to we have? Are we going to have these bodies that look like corpse, these zombies that we see in movies today walking the earth? Is that what it's going to look like? Well, just in logic, in just thinking through these as we go through the scriptures, you're going to find, as Paul says to them, you're so foolish. To even think of these questions or even say these questions, you're foolish because you don't know what you're talking about. And he makes it very clear that these are foolish questions. And he, but he's going to answer these questions right up front. Because these questions, Paul doesn't really answer directly how the dead is raised up. But he, Paul is, is just going to uh, bring it to light, even like he did with Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, verse 8. He says, why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? So, because it's foolish to even say, well, how is, that, how is a body going to be raised up? Well, then that says, when you say this question, that means you really don't know who your God is. Because you need to go back to Genesis 1.1. For in the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth. If you can't get past that first verse, then you're going to have problems with the rest of the Bible. You're going to ask these foolish questions. Well, how is God going to raise a body from the dead? Well, you don't know your God then. Because you don't, you don't know, you, you're asking that question. You don't obviously know that he created you in the womb of his, your mother. And <laughs> you tell me you cannot take your body and raise it up from the dead? It's really simple. He created the heavens and the earth from nothing into something. Do you not think he can take and res- resurrect your body from the dead? So that's what he was saying to even Agrippa in Acts. Why do you find this incredible that God can't raise someone from the dead? It's just foolish because you obviously don't know who your God is. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. And he's in all-present. Of course he could do that. But the second question, what, what kind of body will we have? What, what body do they come and again, Paul's really seeing this from a foolish perspective, but he says here in verse 36, foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. 
And what you sow, you do not sow that the body that, sh that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed his own body. So he's sitting there and says, okay, let me get to the basics here to help you understand how this is going to work. I'm going to use a very natural thing that everyone will understand, and we're going to take this little seed. And you take this seed, and you're going to plant it in the ground. Is The seed is dead. It's a dead, dry seed. And we're going to plant it in the ground. We're going to sow it. And Paul says, what's going to happen is that from that, like this mere grain, that grain, that dead grain, that's the, 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 the seed we're going to plant. And what's going to come out of that ground when it becomes alive is what? A seed? Hello? No. You're going to see a plant. You're going to see wheat come out of that seed. So what was planted, what was sown, when it comes alive, it's going to be changed. But it came from what? That seed. So he says, that is as simple as I can make it for you. God is going to take this dead body of yours. It's going to get planted. It's going to get sown. And when it comes time, when God brings and brings it back to life, he's going to resurrect, but it's going to be a changed body. One was designed, as we will see, that was designed for this earth that you and I have today. But we are going to see, as God, Paul continues, he's going to give us a resurrected body, a new resurrected body that will be designed for heaven. And it's going to be different but it's going to be great, and we're going to see Paul continue to do that. Now, so what questions come out of these verses, just these three verses here is that he says it's foolish that you even think this. He says like you're, a, you're, you're just kind of hypocrisy if you, you can believe in these things, but you're not willing to believe that God is capable or incapable of doing these things. Just take a look at the sowing. We're going to sow like the seeds. The body will be sown. It will, you can believe it. You saw it with this seed concept I'm showing you. It's going to happen with the body as well. So God, Paul is sitting here saying it's in his sovereignty. God chooses whatever plant will look like. I, God says, this is the seed I've created. Seed goes in. Then the, here's the plant that comes out of it. And it's God's sovereignty who designs what it's going to look like. Now, like everything else, man thinks he's more and something bigger than God, isn't he? So what do they do? They genetically alter the, the seeds. They think they can make it better than what God created to be. Then they start messing with this. So they mess it. And plants weren't enough. They start messing with human beings and they start doing things. Man thinks they can be like God and start changing these things. And then you start seeing the problems that we're having within our food system and within the bodies. All kinds of problems are happening because man is messing with what God has given. And we have to be very careful. And so as we take a look at this, he's going to say, Paul's basically saying, our, our new resurrected body is going to be for certain. When we die, just know it's going to become out, it's going to come alive, and it's going to be good because whatever's sown, you're going to get a body that is going to what? Our body is going to please God. And that's all that matters. I was really convicted this week when I read that verse. Because so many years I've always said, I'm going to be what? Taller, thinner, stronger, more hair. All kinds of things you think about when you think you're going to get your new resurrected body. But then God says, wait a minute. Why are you selling yourself short, Corey? I'm going to give you a body that pleases me. And your Heavenly Father never gives something that's not good or not great. So I'm at peace and settled with that now. After all these years, I've always jokingly said it. And now I was like, God, thank you. Whatever it is, you're going to be pleased. And if you're pleased, that means I'm going to be pleased. It's going to be great. Whatever that may be, it's going to be good. And so I see that, and I look at the neck of Paul is so wise that God has given him wisdom to put this on paper so that we could hear from the heart of God of what God has for us. Is that, but God gives it. It's a, it's, he gives it the body he pleases. 
and to like each seed its own body. Verse 39. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, and another of fish, and another of birds. There are also a, 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 a celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial or heavenly body is one, and the glory of the terrestrial or earthly body is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. So when we take a look at these verses here, he's giving this analogy of the living and heavenly bodies and the differences that God has created. And it proves further that God is capable of giving resurrected bodies to followers of Christ. Paul listed several various natural objects by what God has already been able to do. So you have a complete security and assurity that God knows what he's doing and has the strength and the power and the abilities to do what he's going to do with our bodies. And so we see here there's different bodies here. And, and I love this verse because so many people today are false to, uh, teaching falsely in the fact that we came from apes or we came from this or came from that. But the scripture is very clear. That he says there are different fleshes. He's given one kind of flesh of men. All men and women have the same base, the genetic DNA, foundational flesh. We're no different. One kind. Represented so vastly different looks, but one, 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 one flesh. And then another flesh of animals. So for anyone to sit there and say that I came from an animal is absolutely flat out false. Another of fish. And another of birds. God has created heavenly bodies. He's created earthly bodies. He's even created for his glory, for that perfect light Sun, moon, even stars. And there's a variation. Even stars are in variations. But God created those for his purpose and according to his plan of what he designed. And I believe it. That doesn't mean I fully understand it. But I believe it. Because God said it. It is very simple. And I don't allow anyone or anything else in the culture, or regardless of how many PhDs and symbols after their name, tell me, tries to tell me different than this. Because if it con contradicts the word of God, they're a false teaching. God's never false. God's never wrong. That's very simple. Do you see how simple that is? You just have to remember that when you're filtering, have a biblical worldview, filtering Bible glasses on as you listen and hearing and seeing what this world is trying to pump into your head. And if you know the scriptures, which you now now know the scriptures, if you continue to think up going against this, you're wrong. God's always right. And so we see these comparisons. God does not have any problem coming up with sizes and shapes or substitutes for each item in his universe. He didn't have any problems with variety. So if some people try to portray because some movie was put out there that we're all going to look like these white robots that are all the same. With, human, with some kind of flesh on it. Or they're all angels. Or we're all, the, they just won't simply put away those things, read the scriptures, and hold on to the truth, and just keep it simple. It's amazing to me. Why? Because when you don't want the things of God, you don't want to know the truth of God, you don't want to believe that God is in control of your life in this world, you will come up with these all kinds of fantasies. And say it over and over and over and write it in movies and stuff. And then to get the people to believe it. But I'm here to tell you. You don't have to be deceived by these things. Because you know the word of God. Amen.
Now he also gives a comparison between two kinds of bodies here in verse 42. So also in the resurrection of the body, the body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor and is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in natural body and is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. I want to tell you, this is great news for you. My body aches. This is great news for me. Because I know my body's not going to ache the rest of my life. <laughs> because I know I'm going to get a new body. Watch this. It's, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to understand what our resurrected bodies will be like. I, 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 I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm real jiggy with that. I, it's hard to get my head around sometimes what that will be like. and I'm, I'm with you on that. But as Paul contrasts, this is what I focus on now. What I do know, what the scriptures say. And it keeps it that simple because I know it's true. Paul concludes that the fact that there's these variety of bodies that God was made in the universe. Great. But he then mentions four differences that believers may anticipate between their present mortal body that you have today and those that you will receive your new resurrected bodies in the future. And he gives four. The first one was what? Notice this. That our mortal bodies are perishable. They're, in, they're, they're corruptible. They're, 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 they're ha- they have problems with our bodies. They're, but he's going to take these mortal bodies that are perishable, but our resurrected bodies will be imperishable. They will not have to deal with the things that your body deals with today. See, the mortal bodies deal with illness. You get sick. You deal with allergies. You deal with pain, suffering, cuts, all kinds of problems inside and out from the outside elements, but also the decay from the inside of the elements. And our mortal bodies are not designed to last forever. They used to be until sin came into, into the flesh by Adam and Eve. Then our bodies, and anyone who was born from that, was, was um, born in a, in, a, a, in a perishable tent. A tent that is going is decaying and hurts and is very vulnerable to the elements around you. you you're with me, right? You're right? Are we tracking with me? Okay, great. So, so the mortal bodies are all of the sickness and death. But you and I have the blessing to know that in the future our resurrected bodies will have no such difficulties when we get our resurrected bodies. None. So when you sit there and I'm hopeless because my cancer is killing me or this is killing me, my knees are going out of me, my hips going out of me, I had an accident, my body so just know that keep your hope on the fact that you're going to get a new body. It's not forever. It's only a very short period of time your life is on this with this mortal body. But your immortal body is going to be forever. It's eternal. The question always is, do you believe that? Do you believe that? And as a child of God, you need to believe that because God says so. And because God says so, it's true. And even though you may not fully understand how that's going to happen, I don't know about you, but I hold on to that hope. That's the first. Second is mortal bodies carry dishonor. But resurrected bodies carry glory. Remember Adam's fall into sin? All human beings have been born into a dishonorable existence within where sin corrupts even their bodies. We see that also written in Romans 7, verses 17 through 25. Sin dishonors your body. Resurrected bodies, however, will be glorious and splendid, or splendor will pass. It will be a perfect light that will come from your life. The third, mortal bodies suffer weakness. But resurrected bodies will be filled with power, with God's power. 
Human beings today originally received the power and honor of dominion over creation. God gave them perfect bodies with power and honor to, to take care of the Garden of Eden. We see that in Genesis chapter 1, verses 28 through 26. But because they sinned, they chose to go against God's word and take of that fruit. Sin entered in their life. Sin entered into man. And the rest of the creation was drawn apart and drawn down like a spiral, spiral chaos. And we see that in Romans chapter 8, verses 20 through 23. People are all concerned about climate, con climate control or climate change. You have to understand sin is what's bringing this earth down. It's not your pollutant. It may have a factor. Why do they clean the earth up so you can breathe it better? But, they, but nowhere in the climate debate do they say, oh, our earth is coming and fragile and falling apart because of the sin that, that goes throughout this world. No, you don't hear that part of the debate, do you? But in Sundays, when you're in the Word of God and you teach the Word, it is talked about. Because that is what's happening in front of us. But keep in mind, as we look at this, again, man and the rest of creation were drawn apart. But in the resurrection, however, believers will reign with Christ in great power over his creation. And we see that in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12 as well. I can't wait. Right now, go out there and pet a lion in the wild. Tell me if who has control and power. <laughs> Come on, kitty, 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 kitty. You know. It drives me crazy when I say, oh, I have a pet bear. And then we find out a few months later the bear just ate him. <laughs> oh, I can't believe it. Hello? You know what I'm saying? It's just... I want to swim for the sharks. Okay, I won't go back. Back to go. But the, so the fourth, mortal bodies are natural. Our bodies are very natural that God cre created in the, in the womb of your mother. But resurrected bodies will be spiritual. These terms are diff, you know, defined just very precisely. He, Paul is very specific. God has gave him very specific words to put on paper here. Natural bodies versus spiritual bodies. And that, that there's like, what is that going to mean? And is it just going to be a spirit? Are we just going to float around and, and just be the spirit? No, we know very clearly what our bodies are going to be because the scripture tells us so. So let's go through this very specifically and take notes for the pencil pushers and, and, and note takers and students. God used here, Paul, it's very going to be very specific because Christ is going to be our example. Christ appears in his, this, this, this resurrected body. Remember, he raised from the dead on the third day. He was out there. He was walking on the earth. He was, saw the disciples. He saw over 500, by 500 people. We've already talked about this in previously. So everyone saw him. But what did they see? They saw a physical, material body. They did not see a spirit. How do we know that? Well, we can know, go by going in the scriptures and knowing the scriptures. We can see clearly that they were able to touch, feel, see, and, and watch and observe that this was a material body, and, but it changed into a spiritual body. And you'll see the, de the definition even more here as I get clear in my thoughts. And that is the fact that he was able to appear suddenly... To the disciples, if you remember in the upper room, in Luke chapter 24, verse 36. So Paul, I mean, Jesus had a physical body. You could see it, you could touch it, but he could appear suddenly in a room and people could see him and he never went through the door. Even in rooms that were locked, and you can see that in John chapter 20, verses 19 and 26. But we also see in Luke 24, 31, that he, he vanished just as quickly. He came really quickly into their presence, and he vanished quickly from their presence. That's a pretty cool body. Amen? Then he says, at the same time, however, he was able to break bread. 
He had the physical body to break bread and hand the bread to someone. We see that in Luke 24, 30. He also took and ate fish. We see that in Luke 24, verses 42 and 43. Then we see to cook and distribute food to others. He was serving on this earth in his, in his spiritual body. We see that in John chapter 21, verses 9 and 13. People were able to touch Jesus. We see that in John chapter 20, verse 27. So we see clearly what our bodies are going to be look or be able to do when we get our new resurrected bodies. Because our bodies are going to be like Christ. So, so all the other things you've been listening and reading and watching and movies and stuff, just go back to the scriptures and get a clear view, an accurate and truthful view of what God is going to do with your new resurrected body in heaven. So the term spiritual is not immaterial, but it references the fact that he's taking this new body and by the power of the Holy Spirit is going to change your body so your bodies can do incredible things on this earth, but also be able to live in heaven. Amazing. Your body is being renewed by the Holy Spirit. Christ himself was raised by the Holy Spirit. We see that in Romans 8, 11. And we too, our bodies will be raised by the Holy Spirit, God himself, and be transformed. That is absolutely breathtaking thought to ponder on. It answers all of my problems today. That was a funny, because that's true, isn't it? All your problems are solved when you are resurrected from this corrupt body a mind that ravages you on a daily basis will be transformed your body that aches and you can barely get up will be empowered by god almighty that is amazing to ponder on because you're going to be raised in incorruption raised in glory raised in power that the scriptures say here. Our resurrected body will be glorious in the sight of all. Now I say that because that is a promise for you as a believer. Because your bodies will be no more pain, no more suffering. Perfect, empowered by God to be in the presence of God for eternity. That is the hope you have as a child of God. But anyone who's listening to my voice right now who does not have the promise of salvation, they have not given their life to Christ, they're not a child of God, they're not, you will not have a body that is going to be in the presence of God and empowered by God for eternity. But you will be given a body to go to hell and be prepared for hell for eternity. That is what you don't want. But if that's the path you're on, because that's your choice you've made, I highly recommend, I implore to you, today's the day of salvation. Turn your life over to Christ, and you can hold on to the promises that we're talking about into your future. Amen? Amen. I do hope you really seriously consider that. Let's continue in verse 45. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. We see that in Genesis, Genesis chapter 2. Verse 7, Genesis 2, 7, Genesis 2, 7. And the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spirit is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the, the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of man of dust today, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. And your Bible should have a capital M meaning deity, meaning Jesus Christ will have that same like body to be able to live in heaven. That is an absolutely incredible. 
The perfect man, Adam, in the very beginning, gave us one kind of body. But the second perfect man, Jesus, the last Adam, can give us another kind of body, which is a life-giving spirit. See, we've all been born the image of the first Adam. All of us. And those who put their trust in the last Adam will also bear his resurrection image. That's a promise for you and I. For the first Adam, we all are made of dust, but for the last Adam, we are all made heavenly. Are you clear with that? For believers, the promise is sure. We shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. That is fact. There should not be a question for you anymore. Philippians 3.21. Paul repeats the same theme back in, in Philippians. He says, Who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself? What a great promise. What a great promise for you and I. And since we're going to be bearing this image of the heavenly man, the best example we have of a resurrected body will be like that we see in Jesus' resurrected body was just like. It could eat. It did not have limitations, yet it was bound by the laws of nature. It was, it was just not bound by the laws of nature anymore. He was, and now he's not. You are now and I are bound by the laws of nature, but when we get our new bodies, we will not be bound by those same natural laws. That's incredible to think about. How many of you have always dreamt you're going to be able to fly someday? You know it. <laughs> Especially when I'm traveling and I have eight hours ahead of me. Can you just take me and give me my body now, Lord, and just let me zip into that meeting, have that hour meeting, and zip right home without any more travel in between? And he says, oh, yes, in due time. Be patient, Corey. <laughs> it's like, oh, Lord, I want it now. I'll give you patience. But I have that promise. I know it's going to happen in the future. That's the best part. That's just not make-believe. That's just not fantasizing. Our new bodies are going to be incredible in what it will be able to do in the future. Incredible. Likeness. Conformed. That ultimate state of salvation is being conformed to the likeness of God's Son. Romans 8, 29. That's the ultimate salvation. When we appear and conformed to the likeness of our Savior. That's incredible. To bear the likeness of Christ, to reach that highest point, that pinnacle of human existence. And God has that plan for you as a child of his. Amazing grace. Verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when he refers here of as flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, Paul is not saying material things cannot inherit the kingdom of God because Jesus' resurrected body was material body. It was referenced as flesh and blood is in the context meaning our present bodies, flesh and blood, cannot, as it stands today, the way our bodies are designed, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. 
cannot handle that, cannot adapt to that. But Jesus' resurrected body was, a pu- was not a pure spirit body, but a material body described as flesh and bones. We see that in Luke chapter 24, verse 39. It was referred to as flesh and bones instead of flesh and blood. This may seem kind of a, just kind of a small distinction, but they're probably very important distinction to God and why he's called it the way he called it. But the word corruption does not mean moral or ethical corruption. Here he's referring to our moral, physical, material corruption. The decaying of this body, the injuries, the diseases, what we talked about. But Paul says, I tell you a mystery. I'm telling you this truth that's now being revealed by God in a biblical sense. This mystery is simply a thing to understand by from a, by a, from a spiritual perspective, what God is going to do from a human perspective, he's going to change you to be like Christ. Paul is making it very clear to these Corinthian Christians about truth that God is sharing with them through Paul that these, Christian, these Corinthian Christians would never have understood or were never even able to comprehend a reason if it wasn't for God giving his word to bring clarity. There are things in our lives that we just won't understand until you read the word and God reveals it by his word of God and he brings that mystery out and brings clarity and gives you understanding. And that is why we continue to study and read the word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to teach us because he brings these things out and brings clarity to you as we mature in our walk in our faith. And he says, not all will sleep, not all will die, but we shall be all changed. I like that. Some people say, oh, I don't like the word dying. I don't like the word death. Well, then call it, they're going to go to sleep then. Because <laughs> the scripture calls it that. It's a more gentler way of saying, they're dead. <laughs> that was too blue. More pink. They're asleep. That was fun. That was a good thing. Paul tells us that not all Christians will die, but there will be a final generation a final human generation who will be transformed into the resurrected bodies at the return of Jesus before they will face that death that is my hope that today he comes back and in the twinkling of an eye he calls us home calls us to the up to the clouds where he will be waiting for us and we did not have to die this body did not have to stop functioning for us to be able to be in his presence. There is a final generation and it's coming soon and very soon. If you know the scriptures and you're watching what's happening with Israel in Syria and Damascus and Iran and in Russia and you know Ezekiel 38 and Ezekiel 39, if you're reading the scriptures, Daniel, if you're reading the scriptures, you as a believer should know you should be looking up because you, Jesus draws nigh. He comes, he's coming soon. I hope it's today. But if it's not, we'll continue to share the good news. And then tomorrow when we, he wakes me up, then I hope today, tomorrow will be it. And if it's not tomorrow, I hope it's the next day. And every day I wake up with anticipation he's coming back for me as a resurrection and rapture me out of here along with all of you. That's my hope. Because that's what the scripture tells me. Because he says in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed in a single moment jesus will gather his people both dead on and on this earth to himself for resurrection and let me go through this methodically here and from a time perspective i'll try to get through as fast as i can paul expressed the same idea back in first thessalonians chapter 4 verses 15 through 18 and it's just this instant, this twinkling of an eye, this instant gathering of his Christians, his, ch- his children, unto Jesus in the clouds has been called the rapture. And in the, la- in the Latin, it's called caught up, the raptus. And we see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 18. Now, there will be come a day when God's 
eternal plan will be played out the rest of the way. He gives those dead in the Lord their resurrected bodies, and then in an instant, he gathers all of his people to meet Jesus in the air. All the redeemed on the earth at that time will raise up to meet the Lord in the clouds, and we will receive our resurrected bodies. It's going to happen. It will happen. When that exactly will happen, my beliefs, what we teach, is that it's going to be before all the God pours out destruction on this earth. He will take his people out of that before he destroys. He will not destroy the, uh, uh, God will not destroy both his people and those who've rejected him. He will not do that. I believe that in the scripture is clear. And so as we see that happen, what of the dead in Christ before that day? What will happen to those who have already died and before Jesus came and raptured out? They're all lying in a grave in some kind of soul sleep or suspended animation? No. That's what people try to teach, but that's not what the Bible says. Paul made it clear that to be absent from the body means to be present with the Lord in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8 when we get there. So when you die and you believe in Jesus Christ, you are in his presence and you're there in front of him. You'll be with him for eternity. Now the question is, is that the present dead in Christ are with the Lord in a spiritual body that we're talking about already or waiting for their final resurrection body or because of the nature of the timeliness of eternity, they have received their resurrection bodies already because they live in the eternal now. I believe that. I believe when someone dies, they are um, immediately in the presence of the Lord. They've given their resurrected body because they're in eternity. There is no time up in eternity. It's just you're in the presence of the Lord, and you are at the state, that complete state, that perfect state that God has designed for you. All this soul is sleeping, and I'm going re- to do some really hard labor and repenting and mess with some beads and stuff, and somehow my loved ones who are somewhere in the middle of abyss, and purge all of that. The scripture's clear. When you're absent from the body, you're in the presence of the Lord, and they, you cannot do anything for them. They are, one of two things have happened to them. If they're a believer in Jesus Christ, they put their faith in Christ, they're in the presence of the Lord for eternity. If you, that loved one does not believe in Jesus Christ, rejected Jesus Christ, they are not in the presence of Jesus Christ anymore because they had to bow their knee, confess their tongue with their tongue that, yes, oh, man, I made a big mistake down there on earth. I rejected you, but now I know I believe. And now they're, then they're cast out of heaven and they're in hell. It is horrible to find out that Jesus is real and is the Son of God on the other side of the grave because it's too late for you. You must make that decision on this side of the grave. That's why it's always the passion of constantly telling you about have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ today. Surrender your life today because it's too late once you're on the other side. I want you to have the resurrected body that we're talking about. I want you to have uh, the power of God in living in and no more pain or suffering. I don't want you to live in pain and suffering for eternity in hell. Not even my worst enemy I would ever want that. I hope you believe that and understand what the scripture is trying to impart to you to give your life to Christ and to follow him. And it will happen at that last trumpet. And see, a lot of times people say, well, I don't believe. I think that last trumpet is dealing with Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. I don't believe that. Those who believe that Jesus gathers his people after he has poured out his wrath on a Jesus-rejected world, you think that's how our Heavenly Father is going to treat his people? Really? I don't, I don't see that. I don't believe that. I, don't, I, don't, I see that in Scripture. So I, I reject the teachings that people said that he, God, your loving Father, is going to take you as a, a child and take you through the destruction that he's going to do on this earth. He is not going to judge his children with a rejected world. I don't believe that. So I believe in pre-trib. I do not believe in mid or post-trib. That's what we be, I, that's what we teach because that is scripture is very clear. The last trumpet here that he's talking about may not refer to the last trumpet of the seven trumpets of Revelation at all, but simply referring to the last trumpet believers here on this earth. 
This last trumpet may be connected with the trumpet of God. And there's a difference between the trumpet of the, from the angels, the death angel, versus a trumpet of God. The trumpet of God we see in 1 Thessalonians 4.16. But not with the trumpets of angels. The angels that will, God calls out in Revelation 11 to go bring destruction to the, uh, the fallen world. But the, the, the trumpet that we're going to hear is the trumpet of God that says, Ah, my children, come up here and see me. There's a difference. Ironside, great commentator, great, great Bible study. He says that the last trumpet was a figure of speech that came from the Roman military when they broke camp. The first trump meant strike the tents and prepare to leave. And they did that. The second trumpet meant fall in line. Okay, you got your tents and all stuff. Now fall in line. We're about to move. But the third trumpet... When the military heard the third trumpet, it means march away. It's time to go. And that's the trumpet that Paul is referring here. The last trumpet that God says, he's blowing his horn. He says, hey, you better get your, you better get your house in order. The second, he's giving warnings because you can see the birth pains. You can see what's going on around. You better have your house in order and you better be ready to move. Keep looking up because I'm coming close. And then we're going to hear that third trumpet and a God by his blaze. Come on up. I've been waiting for you. And then you're going to be meeting him in, the, in a twinkling of an eye. You'll be in the presence of God. And then you'll be given your resurrected bodies. Praise the Lord. That is what that third trumpet, that's what the trumpet refers to here. And the resurrection is a must for the Christian's destiny. It's so important that you hold on to this truth, and that's why Paul is hammering away to these Corinthian Christians. Verse 54. We're going to wrap up here. So when this corruption has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. We see that in Isaiah 25a. Not exactly the same words, but exact, that's exactly what he was referring to. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? We see that in Hosea 13.14. Again, not exactly word for word, but very, very definitely that's what he was referring to uh, when he, he says that. And then the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, the law being death. So he says, the corruptible needs to put on incorruption. I get that. Mortal has to put on immortality. Yes, this is awesome. Because death is swallowed up in victory. Jesus has gotten victory. He's over death. He is in control of this. He, is in gonna, he knows exactly what we can hold on to and rely upon because we have a relationship. We're with him. We benefit from what he has done for us by giving us victory. The sin was bringing us to hell. It controlled us. Now, because we have been forgiven of sin, we now have the ability to have the promise of knowing that we are going to go into this state that God is promising of a resurrected body. What a beautiful thing. In verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This, this brief um, doxology, it's a, it's a term used to refer to this this, this, this greeting here, thanks to God. That's a doxology, doxology. So it says, thanks to God solidifies that gospel reference in the preceding verses that we just talked. There's a promise of resurrection. We, we know the good news. We have the gospel that Jesus died on the cross. He was buried for three days. He was resurrected from the dead. He has a new spiritual body. And we know this for a fact. And because of that promise, that's what put our belief in, we now know that thanks be to God who has given us the victory as well because we've put our trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. It's as simple as I can make it to you, my brothers and sisters. You don't put your trust in a church. You don't put a trust in a pastor. You put your trust not in yourself. You put your trust in Jesus Christ the Lord. And when you do that, you have victory because he got the victory for you and me. In verse 58, therefore, my brethren, beloved brethren, be steadfast. He's saying, my brothers and sisters in Corinth, be steadfast. 
Don't be moved here. Be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Whatever you think, whatever you're feeling right now, whatever confusion you think you're having, and, and oh, I don't know, people love me, and they do love me, and I don't know if I'm going to heaven, I'm not going to heaven, I don't know if everything I'm doing for the Lord, does anyone even care if it is any worth it? I, I seem like I'm putting all my efforts in serving God and at the church and doing these things. Is it worth it? Is it just a waste of time? Is it a No, people. Paul makes it very clear to them, and I'm going to make it clear to you, it is not a waste. It's not in vain. This is all for your preparation for eternity. Why would you spend any time and money and energy on anything other than what would please the Lord and for the crown of glories that you were receiving in heaven? Why would you waste any more time on the things of this world and the things of the flesh and the pride of life? Why would you do any of that? Because it's, that is in vain. Getting a bigger house and a better car and, and, just, and making sure your kids who are not even born yet has college degree at Princeton. I'm telling you what, your minds are completely not focused on what God's priorities are. Paul makes it very clear. The Lord makes it very clear. You're not working just to work. You just don't go to church and serve the Lord for just doing it for just because you had nothing else to do on the Sunday. You come to be equipped so you can go out to make a difference for the kingdom of God and because it pleases your Lord and your master. And as he guides your life, as he directs your life, as he controls your life, because you've allowed him to do that, he says, stand fast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You are going to be richly rewarded for the work that you do with the right heart for the Lord. And it must drive you every day. What would you wake up in the morning and why do you wake up and why do you do the things you do? And as a child of God, you do it all for the Lord. Regardless of how you feel, you do it for the Lord. I know, mothers, it's not easy to raise children. Going from one sickness to the next sickness and, and uncertainty and, and how are you going to feed them and how are you going to comfort them and how are you going to protect them. and how you, I know it's overwhelming, ladies. But the Lord is with you. He's going to give you the strength and the encouragement for you to do the, 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 the ministry that he's called you to do, and that's motherhood. Dads, I know it's the uncertainty and, and, and uncertainty of how are you going to provide for a family and be, protect them and raise them right and go and be there and always feeling like you're always gone because you have to be and because you're God doing what God's called you to do and you want to be there. But God has called you to do what you need to do. Ladies, God has called you to do what you need to do. And you have to trust in him. You have to rely upon him. You must work together because there's strength when you do it together in Christ. It's a third cord. And you're bound together in that strength to do what God's called you to do for the kingdom of God. Not to get ahead in life. And when you've got that settled, my people, you will find that you will have the peace and the joy that will go beyond your understanding. And he will miraculously take you from day to day. And you'll be steadfast. You'll be immovable. Because I'm telling you, the persecution is coming, my, my brothers and sisters. Our brothers and sisters, I'm hearing reports of the beheadings and the, the sufferings that are going on all around this world. We're hearing it in the United States today. We must be ready. That is why we must be steadfast and immovable with the word of God. Do not be swayed like these Corinthian Christians did and go and be conformed by this world because you will become like you will be standing on quicksand. You'll be standing on sand and it'll be so shifty for you. You have no idea what's going on in life. But stand on the rock. But stand on the truth that we learned today, a foundational truth. You will be receiving a new resurrected body. Father, we again thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your 
grace and your mercy upon our life. And we thank you, Lord, for your truth and the fact that we could hold on to that truth regardless of how we feel, regardless what anyone says. We now know your truth and we steadfast in this foundational truth. May we have, Lord, have you transformed our minds, changed our minds, realigned our minds in line with your will and your purpose to please you and you alone. Oh, how easy it is to want to please people we love. But Lord, may that be first we please you and get your direction, your instruction, and your guidance and power to do what you call us to do and let us be steadfast and immovable according to your strength and power and will. And it's in your precious name we pray these things. Amen, amen, amen.